Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. What's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast where we're passionate about reaching the next generation of young adults in our world today. Thanks for sharing this episode with others who are going to need some encouragement. Today we're joined by a special returning guest, Dr. Alicia Britcholi. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's a joy to be back. Thank you guys for the opportunity. We're excited. And if you're new or newer Mm -hmm. to the podcast, um, there's a library of close to 250 episodes. Can you believe it, babe? I can believe it. It's been quite the journey, but we've had incredible people. And this is a returning guest upon your request, the audience that you have loved to lean into Alicia's books and her ability to write in, put words to a page that just calls us out and calls us up, but just brings peace in the sense of all areas of life, no matter what you're walking through. So Josiah, for the guests who may not know a little bit about her, what do you got to say? Well, Dr. Alicia Britcholi is actually, side note, she's in the top five episodes of all time in the Young Adults Today podcast library, but she's a revered author, speaker, and mentor, and really has a passion Mm -hmm. for helping young leaders be equipped to care for their soul. We're going to talk about these things in just a second, Uh, but you know, we, we've always recommended because we've read all of her books, mm-hmm. anything that she's written, we're going to read. Mm-hmm. And a great place to start is anonymous. Maybe you feel like you're in a hidden season, mm-hmm. uh, kind of next layer. Next step is, um, 40 days of decrease, just mm-hmm. looking at Jesus life and fasting and the sacred slow is another work. And I have a hunch there's probably other books, um, simmering in the works, but to you, Dr. Choli, would you just be willing to recap? some of your uh, story with the listener today. I'd be happy to. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. My um, heart for decades has been for this generation. And it's a a real honor to spend some time together. For me, I think some of the key pieces for people to get a glimpse of how God has led me would be that I spent my first chunk of life as a very sincere and certain atheist absolutely convinced that there was no God. God hadn't created man. It was pretty clear that man had created God because there were just so many questions in life that were never going to be answered by science or reason or even experience. So for me as a young atheist, I simply considered myself a realist who preferred unanswered questions over fairy tales. Mm. And initially that was an emotionally benign choice. I wasn't mad. I hadn't been hurt by the church. There wasn't any kind of angst. It really just seemed the most logical conclusion given what could be known and what could never be known. A little bit about background surrounding that. I'm the only child of two uh, remarkably loving parents that have both passed now. I grew up with loads of affirmation and a strong sense of value. My atheist father did a pretty fantastic job of um, listening to me, of helping me feel seen and heard, of giving me the gift of presence. Now, I did not know that my dad was an atheist. In fact, he did not share that with me until after Jesus interrupted my life. He just faithfully went along to church with my mom and really emphasized um, that he believed I had a good mind and he loved to hear my words and he loved every moment we got to spend together. And so 
without knowing it and without meaning to. Uh, my dad gave me my first glimpse of God as someone who enjoyed my company, as someone who wanted to hear my voice, as someone who loved being with me. There, these seeds were being planted in me even before I believed that God existed. So when you combine those two things, a very, very uh, loving and affirming um, household, my parents gave me everything that they could. Faith just wasn't on the menu of what they were able to offer, uh, a, a living, vibrant faith. And uh, with this sincere belief that there was no God, their love for me anchored me for a long time until as a teen, I hit uh, a patch of pretty severe depression. Wow. Uh, and there were several different factors that were involved, um, but mostly just this sense that I always had that I never really fit. Um, I was thinking about things other people weren't thinking about. I was wanting to do things other people weren't wanting to do. Uh, in that group, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. Mm. And it's amazing how you can have a ton of love from your parents, but there is something that you look for in a peer group that when it's absent, it can deeply affect you, even when you have a strong sense of self um, without God as that eternal tether. I had an earthly one, but I didn't have an eternal one. I began to really spiral into just a dark space for several years. My parents were very, very concerned about me um, and rightfully so. Uh, what they didn't know is I was actually making plans to take my life. Um, running parallel to this was I was in a drama class and I was writing a play about a young girl who was preparing to commit suicide. So I was writing out what I was living. And I think any drama teacher now would have, you know, <laughs> heard a fire alarm and sent me to the counselor, but my drama teacher was too high to notice. You know, She just had no clue what was going on. But what was interesting is I came to the last chapter of writing and preparing and planning. And um, in that last chapter, the girl has already taken her life and her parents walk in her bedroom to find her. And um, I was paralyzed writing that chapter hmm. because I realized that the people who would really pay for me escaping my pain were the people who had loved me the best, mm -hmm. the people who had loved me the most. It's interesting. Sometimes we think that suicide will be a statement to the people who've hurt us or the bullies who've misunderstood us, but that's not what it does. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't frankly care. They're not going to learn a lesson in that way, but what it does do is it um, leaves the people who love us with tons of questions and I wasn't so far down that hole that I couldn't feel that sense of what it would cost the people who loved me. Yeah. And so I turned in the play, but I abandoned my plans and it was about, um, did not know how I was going to get out of the depression at all, but I knew that they couldn't pay the price for my current exit strategy. So my parents um, just continued to support me in love and graduated from high school. And it was in between just those first few weeks before as an incoming freshman in college that the God who pursues even those who deny him absolutely interrupted my existence. I wasn't looking for him because I didn't think he existed. But he just 
ripped open um, the fabric of my existence in such an undeniable way that it uh, it became that eternal anchor that has tethered me ever since. That's incredible. Alicia, thank you so much for going there. I think many of us as, as leaders or pastors or just people listening to this podcast, we are in contact with people who may be living elements of your story out in our everyday life that we choose yes. to ignore or we're just ignorantly or blissfully unaware or it's right in front of us and we don't know how to handle it right when it comes to depression or anxiety or just suicidal thoughts or the planning literally of something Mm -hmm. and it's amazing and incredible that god interrupted you but also how even through your your depression or you would describe as a dark season that you saw the elements of an outcome Mm-hmm. that would or could have happened and hurt the people that loved you the most and loved you the best. And I think that that's a good um, awakening, I think, for me, just sitting here like, wow, there's so many young adults. We know they're hurting, but what do they mm-hmm. do? And when we come across the t- statistics and the stats and not, they're not just numbers, they, they're percentages of people when one out of three actually feels supported or thinks that somebody believes in them. So two out of three think nobody believes in me. Nobody will even notice if I'm gone. Nobody, nobody cares, you know, and that's so far from the truth, because like you said, that we have a God who chases us down, even when we're running in the opposite direction or we're not looking for him and he can divinely interrupt our lives and truly strip us down to the core of our being and us recognizing, wow, if we say yes to Christ, it's this realization Mm -hmm. that I can do nothing without God. And the things that we're up against as people, as leaders, as a society, we need God more than ever mm-hmm. each and every single day and inviting him in, not just in on our Sundays, but literally praying over our calendar, praying over our day, our children, mm-hmm. our work, our waking breath of like, how do we, how do we live on mission when we do call ourselves believers and we are ultimately a threat to the enemy each and every single day. And yes. I just pray that we're a generation and we're we're leaders and people and believers that aren't going to lie stagnant or roll over because we're too scared to live out the faith that God, you know, wants us to live out. And um, through all your writing and through all your books, you've just been an inspiration to so many. And I would encourage listener, if you have not picked up or read any of Alicia's um, books, please do so because your life, your walk with the Lord will and should be challenged to the core of why you do what you do and how can we love more like Jesus and how can we steward the soul that God has given us in cadence and in rhythm with him and not with the world. Mm-hmm. And I know that you had shared um, right before we hit record that you have been working on an incredible project. You said it's your life work uh, yes. 30 plus years going into yes. some beautiful pages. Oh yeah. Share with the listener, like what, it, what is the premise of the book? Because unpack yes. it for us a little bit and just share that. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, you can imagine with my background, you know, having been an atheist and come into faith from that perspective uh, in my family, questions weren't about answers. Questions were about building relationship. My dad and I would, you know, stay up till the wee hours of the morning and I would just talk about everything and ask all sorts of questions. I don't remember any single answer that my dad and I ever came to, but I remember the safety of being able to ask. And, and that is, I think, one of the core tenets of faith that we are missing today. We think we ask a question to get an answer. No, we ask a question to grow 
safe relationships. We need to be able to share what's in our heart, to face God with our angst, with our doubts, with our questions. And the fruit of that is a stronger and more intimate relationship. And so questions have been my friends for a very, very long time. And that did not change when Jesus interrupted my life. I just brought my questions with me. You know, I just brought them all, all the doubts, all the angst. It it just came with me. But now I wasn't asking them alone. I wasn't just lofting them up into an empty universe. I was able to face Jesus with them, to ask him face to face these things, these questions, these things that didn't make any sense to me. And to have this visual of his open arms, his welcoming face, his near heart. Mm -hmm. And so what began then um, 30 years ago was I started to study the times in the, the scriptures where people were experiencing the same kind of spiritual pain. Um, I had known as an atheist and still in different ways experienced as a follower of Christ. I started studying every time people experienced, um, conflict or angst with God, with their own faith walk, you know, hello, the Psalms and, and with other people who said they walked with God. And so that overflowed into a study of disillusionment in the life of the disciples all throughout the gospels, all those times where the disciples were kind of scratching their heads saying, what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus saying? Who is Jesus with? Why isn't Jesus, you know, doing what we think he should? Um, And then it overflowed again into my dissertation. My doctoral dissertation was called Disillusionment as the Unexpected Friend of Spiritual Formation. So all that is the backdrop to say this. The title of the book is The Night is Normal, A Guide Through Spiritual Pain. So the night is one of the original residents of Eden. God established it. God created it, which means that faith in God has to play out in the day and in the night. Mm. But in the same way that we try to banish the night physically, we turn on lights, we stay up till all hours. We try to banish the night spiritually because we think that faith prefers sunlight. Mm. And faith may shine best in the sunlight, but it grows depth in the dark. And that is what this book is about. It is unwrapping and once again, returning to normality in the life of faith, the night. We now believe that the night is some kind of exit or failure of faith or some kind of departure from the church. No and no. Now the night is a sacred part Anybody who has ever prayed that their love for God will be purified, will be answered with some form of night. But if we have no theological framework for it, we are going to interpret it as a failure of God, a failure of ours, or a failure of the church. And when we think we have exited, we are so vulnerable to deception that can actually lead to true apostasy. And that's a whole different level of depression. And so we're going to reclaim the night theologically. We're going to let it return to its place as a sacred part of faith. And then the rest of the book, there's four parts. So part two, three, and four 
I walk with you through both scriptural examples and then practical tools for navigating the night of disillusionment with God when he isn't who you thought he was, Mm. of navigating the night of disillusionment with yourself when you're not who you hoped you were, and navigating the night of disillusionment with the people who also say they're in God's house when the people of God aren't who you needed them to be. And then there's tons of footnotes, you know, so I always tell people, (laughs) eat your vegetables, read your footnotes. They're there for a reason. There's so much more I would have loved to include in this book. So they're packed in tiny print at the end. So that's the book and it'll be out in July. My gosh, that's incredible. That's intense. Like I feel like I gotta get (laughs) suited up to read this book. (laughs) In a good way, in a good way. Get ready. We are excited, uh, Alicia. The yes. night oh, is you. normal. Thank and I think you. it's a timely message. Mm-hmm. Having not known completely because it's we're recording this ahead of the release of this book, mm-hmm. but I think it's timely for a few reasons. One of them is just the prevalence in this cultural moment of doubt and deconstruction mm-hmm. and yes. even deconversion. And you touched on that. And I know... Um, What's interesting when we look at Jesus and the disciples is they had doubt. They prayed prayers mm-hmm. like, I believe, right. but not my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And I think we get the uh, profession from Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life in response to a question. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes the the young adult generation is asking questions that the church hasn't answered mm-hmm. and and then maybe the church or leaders were presenting answers to questions that they're not asking wow. yes. and for so long uh what's really important is to look at the rabbi's approach a rabbi mm-hmm. was never mm-hmm. intimidated or threatened or surprised by a question rabbis actually invite questions mm-hmm. and jesus was a really great rabbi Yes. And so he welcomed questions. Mm-hmm. And I think to the listener, maybe you've had some doubts, some worries, mm-hmm. some fears, right. uh, 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 a lure or temptation of deconstruction. Bring your questions to the table. That's right. And they're welcome. They're wanting, Jesus isn't afraid of them. Right. And we aren't either. None of us need to be afraid of doubt, yes. or worry, or anxiety um, because we're not the first to, mm-hmm. to experience the night like you're talking mm-hmm. about. And yes, there may be that pain that comes in the night. There will be joy in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we are excited to get our hands on a copy mm-hmm. and for the yeah. listener as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. In light of that. I, well, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking um, to your point, what you were sharing. I feel that for whatever reason, there has been a generation that when, when as kids, kids started asking hard questions. The response they almost got was, shh, don't ask that. Shh, don't, 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 don't say that. As though God were somehow offended. And so we, we receive this message of faith doesn't ask certain questions. Faith doesn't make certain statements. Faith doesn't feel certain things. And we contrast that with Jesus's example in the garden of Gethsemane, where Here he is. He's saying, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And the words in the Greek there are just so fantastic. They speak of anxiety. They speak of angst. Um, This was an incredibly brutal moment for him emotionally. And not only did he feel it, not only did he wrap words around it and say it, he then inspired the guys to record it Mm -hmm. so that we could learn 
that faith doesn't always have cooperative feelings <laughs> leading its charge, you know, so that we could learn that like Jesus, we can be honest about how we feel. You know, God, I, I feel crushed. I feel like I can't make it. I, I feel overwhelmed with sorrow. But we also are truthful about what we know to be um, reality. You are with me. You are with me, not my will, but yours be done. One of my friends, her name is Ellen Beach. She made an incredible statement. She said, I think one of the greatest challenges facing this generation is they mistake their feelings for their identity. Wow. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and so I, it's time for us to be honest about our feelings, but also to realize what they are and what they aren't. Um, right. They are real, but they aren't always true. Mm -hmm. So we bring them with us. In honesty, God, this is how I feel about you. This is how I feel about the church. This is how I feel about the Bible. What's up with the Bible? Mm -hmm. This is how I feel. And I'm going to bring these and face you. I'm going to bring these things with me. I'm not going to hide them. I'm not going to shh them. I'm going to bring them with me, just like at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus brought his feelings with him into that moment of faith. Not my will, but yours be done. I think that that's so beautiful. And I think that I think we fail to recognize that anything that we're up against on this side of eternity, Jesus experienced elements of that too. And when you read that and it's exposed in a way, you're like, oh yeah, duh. And then we realize that we have the Holy spirit. Like if he, when, when Jesus said like, there'll be somebody that I'm going to send, you know, and when we lean into the Holy spirit and we lean into our relationship with Jesus and we try to understand God and the word, like they all intersect and they all are so tightly woven together. It's just, we can't let our feelings or emotions interfere with the fact that it's okay to wrestle. And it's okay to, like you said, bring those things to the table. And we feel like they're one of our mottos, I guess, in ministry is there's always room at our table. Mm -hmm. spiritually literally like literally like if you want a place to come like there's always room at the, our table and if there's not we will make room and pull up another chair and this generation is dying to be asked to join seriously first and mm -hmm. foremost god's kingdom an invitation to eternity with christ whether they know it or not or accept it right away or not that's the ultimate cry of every soul is to know and to know and to be known mm -hmm. right yes and i would just be so curious alicia like what do you believe or how or why do you believe that reaching the next generation of young adult ministry, like in helping them with all mm -hmm. these questions, unpack everything that you've just talked about? Why is it mm -hmm. so important um, to reach the next generation and the young adults of this world today? Yes. I, I first just want to say, I guess, two different things. Um, my answers would be the same, even if this were the last generation. I I could, you know, wrap my arms and around <laughs> this generation, um, I would say something like, you are valuable in and of yourself. Mm -hmm. You are not just valuable so that through you, we can reach who comes behind you. You are not just valuable because of your talents and your giftings. You, um, I would do all of this for you. And I think that the word reach is powerful, but I would even replace it with, I feel like what what I hope we can offer is simply presence and vulnerability, right? You know, when I think about the enemy's strategy against us and against the capital C church, you know, oftentimes, in fact, one time a friend asked it really in, in a very concise way. She said, Alicia, 
you know, you talk about the night and you talk about questions, you talk about angst and you talk about pain and you treat it as though it's a friend. And, and she said, but the enemy's strategy is pain. So how can pain be a friend of faith? And I said, I, I'm, I thank you so much for your honesty. And I would like to um, alter the question. I really don't think that the enemy's strategy is pain. I don't think that's what gets him up in the morning. <laughs> I don't think that's what motivates him. I think that the enemy's strategy is distance. Wow. Yeah. His goal is distance. His goal is trying to create distance between you and God, you and your true self, and you and the people of God. And to that end, he can use pain or pleasure equally, can't he? Yeah. I mean, how many pages do we have to look back, you know, in the headlines? He can use pain or pleasure equally. He can use success or failure equally. He adapts his strategy. Um, Pain isn't his goal. Distance is. Wow. And distance is his strategy in this generation. We are hyper-connected online, but we are more isolated and lonely than ever before. And so I feel like the offering from my generation to the next needs to not just be inspiration. It needs to be presence, however that can manifest. Mm -hmm. Presence and vulnerability. I don't think that the next generation needs superhuman Alicia. I think they need human Alicia. There's only one superhuman. His name is Jesus. And the more vulnerably I can walk with you, the more honest I can be with you about my own angst and my own doubts and my own questions, the smaller I can stay so that I don't block your view of him. Good. So presence and vulnerability um, that I hope is that I hope is the offering. Um, I hope that on the other side um, that I hope is what my legacy will be in the small way that I seek to make a difference um, here. But there's several things that concern me. I can just start going, you know, through them if you'd like, or if there's, if you want to ask a further question based on that, I can pause. I I would just be Mm -hmm. so curious what does concern you and what, what's on your heart, Alicia, for young leaders in, in this hyper-connected world that it's really easy to get disillusioned. It's really Mm -hmm. easy to get discouraged or compare and all these different things, but what's, what's on your heart? Yes. Okay. One of the things that came to my mind was um, a principle that stood out to me in this cancer journey. So, you know, 10 years of the cancer journey, three recurrences. It's been, um, I'm so grateful to be here and to be strong. And this seems so obvious, guys, just so right in front of me, but it really was a moment of revelation. And it happened, I don't know, three, four years ago, that I suddenly realized that the only thing my body had, um, raw material to recover from really what's an immune system failure. In many ways, that's what cancer is, at least for me, has been immune, an immune system failure. The raw material it has to recover is from what I feed it. It's from what I drink and from what I eat. So the fewer toxins in what I eat and what I drink, the more pure the ingredients are, the raw materials are for what it has to restore my immune system. So let's think about that on a spiritual level. Yes. Uh, In some sense, what we're struggling with in a church is a failure of our immune system. Right? And um, what we are feeding ourselves is the only raw material we will have to strengthen our immune systems again, to battle 
the toxicity. So what are we feeding ourselves? Truly, even just percentage-wise, right? how pure is it? How trustworthy is it? How praiseworthy is it? And so, you know, no, I'm not saying, you know, let's read the Bible from, you know, 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. But I think that we need to be sober about what raw ingredients we are giving our spiritual immune system to fight off and to remove the toxicity that's inherent in our environment. What are we listening to? What are we watching? Mm-hmm. Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Uh, we have got to take more authority in what we're consuming. And so one of my first encouragements would be, boy, even five minutes of being incredibly vulnerable before God and asking him to weigh in on what we're consuming. Is there anything we need to fast, to pause, to shift? Do we need to head somewhere else? Um, start going to a different store. <laughs> you know what, what are we accessing? We cannot expect to fill ourselves with toxicity and have an immune system strong enough to beat off that toxicity. We just can't. So uh, I, if I could almost issue a plea, be sober about what you're consuming. It will directly affect your strength to stay healthy spiritually. I, another concern, and I, I, I'm guessing I have expressed this before because it stays with me, is um, that experience is not a synonym for true intimacy. That just seeking for that next experience, that next, forgive me, spiritual high in that next song or that next book or that next conference or that next whatever, um, that is not intimacy. It's experience and it's memorable. Some of them are transformational, but it is not intimacy. Uh, Love is not a feeling. It's more like a muscle. It's willful. It's something we exercise. And if we continue to view our nearness with God through the lens of our senses and our experiences, we are not going to have the Job-like faith this world needs for us to make a deposit. Job-like faith is what is going to be required of this next generation. Job-like faith. I'm the kind of faith that says, I do not understand you at all, but I know that you're good and I know that you're God. And I know that one day I'm going to be able to lay all of my questions in front of you. Um, a Job-like faith is what we need. And yet you're not, we're not going to get there through, forgive me, through cotton candy feelings. Yeah. If that's just not the route. Um, And then I think also another thing for me would be what I've already expressed and what my life work is hoping to add to certainly not begin. Um, There's many people who've gone before me with this message, but that we start reframing doubt and we start reframing the night as growing pains of faith instead of the failure of faith. So if we realize that the enemy's work is to create distance, if we realize that experience is not a synonym for intimacy. If we start realizing that love is more like a muscle 
than a feeling. If we start realizing that the we have freedom to bring in our doubts and our angst and our downs, our, our even our sadness, our depression, right into the presence of God, where he welcomes us with open arms, that I believe that we have the ingredients we will need to offer a faith that's um, livable, mm-hmm. to offer a faith that a real human can wear, and to offer a faith that's not waiting some kind of utopia or oasis, um, a faith that's got muddy feet, mm-hmm. but their sights set on eternity. Uh, that's a longing. That's my longing for this generation. I love it. I love especially just how you're you're mm-hmm. talking about and and really grateful that the gospel writers didn't leave out the chapter about the dark nights that Jesus walked through and yes the listeners been crying in the night they're not mm-hmm. the first if they've been going through discouragement mm-hmm. or doubts like they they really are in good company in mm-hmm. the disciples of Jesus Yes, absolutely. We see that in stories like Mary and Martha's response to their brother's death. What did they do? Each one of them came and face to face with Jesus said, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Let me paraphrase. Where were you? Mm -hmm. We called. He didn't come in a timely fashion. You're here now. We're glad. But hey, where were you? And the reason that was so safe is because they brought their question face to face. They didn't turn their back on Jesus and lob it off into the emptiness. Bring your questions with you. They will strengthen your relationship with Jesus. That's so good. Alicia, thank you so much for going there. I think it just exposes your hearts on a whole different level for, for me and then the listener just to recognize the importance of everything that you just said and to keep in mind that we want to be individuals and leaders that live and leave a legacy not in our name, but in the name of Jesus. And when we, you talked about living pure, like pure, like what we put in our body, like garbage in, garbage out, what we input is what we're going to output. And I've recognized and realized um, that a cry of this generation or a question that the generation has, and maybe it's worded differently for many, but ultimately they want a mentor in their life. Mm-hmm. They want somebody to believe in them. They want a personal pastor that they can call any hour of the day and night to know that they are there because they want consistency and they want a friend. They want guidance. They want, they, they want to be taken on a wild adventure, but they don't want to go it alone. Right. Yes. So I would just be so curious, like when it comes to mentoring, why does mon- mentoring matter? Mm-hmm. Um, whether we reach up and we're reaching down, like why does even cross-generational mentoring matter? And what should we look for in a mentor as leaders and as young adults when we are in the midst of trying to figure out who's pure of heart, who has the right intentions? Are they God-fearing? Are they elevating? Do they think they're elevating mm-hmm. me in this position because they prayed or are they giving God the glory because I let them in part of my story? Like, so I think mentorship is beautifully messy. <laughs> yes. And it can be misleading but how do, what do we look for in a mentor and why is it important that we all have somebody speaking into our life in certain seasons? Like you oh. speak into that. Yeah. Oh, happily for like four hours. If we have time, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, I have time. Yeah. This is like my, you know, one of my life passions. Uh, yes. You know, life is the fruit of life. That's mm-hmm. why mentoring. 
life isn't the offspring of paper. Yeah. Life is the fruit of life. So if you want to be more alive, you have to share life. (laughs) I um, I was so grateful looking back. Of course, I didn't know the gifts that God was giving me, but some of his first gifts next to the, you know, the spirit of God and the word of God were mentors and they didn't call themselves mentors. You know, they didn't have a big t-shirt with an M on it or something like that, but they, they offered me life and they shared life with me. And it, oh my goodness, I, I can't even imagine what my faith walk would have been like without their um, commitment to walk alongside of me. So, you know, whether we call it a mentor or a disciple, you want to call it a coach or a spiritual, you know, champion, I pick your wording. I I don't want to stumble on, you know, letters that are clumped together. So, but we want somebody to walk alongside of us, to invest in us, to believe in us, to help us grow. Right. So whatever that, whatever that is, we'll call it a mentor in this moment. So here's my thoughts. Um, I would encourage someone who is looking for a mentor to spend enough time in quiet, uh, to spend enough time personally, you and Jesus, and really ask yourself, what are the areas I want to grow in? Specifically, get as specific as you possibly can. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an introvert. And how do I not feel so awkward in social situations? Or, um, I feel like I, I speak so quickly. I need to talk with somebody who can help me discipline my mind and discipline my tongue or I, whatever it is, you know, whatever it happens to be, I'm married and um, yet it's been a rocky couple, you know, first couple of years. Uh, How do I communicate when I'm not even sure I like them? You know, be as specific as you possibly can. We keep um, wanting someone who is everything. Mm-hmm. And we have that person. His name is Jesus. All right. So everybody else isn't is just an understudy. You know, all of us are we're maybe an older brother, an older sister, shoulder to shoulder, walking alongside of you, facing Jesus together. He's the master mentor. So that's why I think it's important to isolate the areas you want to grow in. Then look around you and ask God to open your eyes. Who has that? That maybe maybe what is on your page is intercession. I, I don't understand prayer. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels and praying from assumption. As specifically as you can, write it down, then ask God to open your eyes and look around. And look for someone who has a track record in one of the areas you've written down. Good. I'm not asking you to find the whole enchilada. We're not looking for all of Chipotle on the menu. You know, we just, just find one person who has that specific area. So let's go with intercession. And maybe that person um, doesn't have anything to speak to your educational decisions you're making right now. Maybe they um, didn't come from the same home life you did. Maybe they're married and you're single or, you know, they're single and you're married, but they know about prayer Mm -hmm. and then approach them. You've got nothing to lose. If they say no, you're no worse off than you were before you asked. And so I would encourage you to start with something that's not, would you be my forever mentor 24 seven for the next 50 years of my life? I would encourage you to start with, Hey, would you have time after church um, to just maybe have a couple, let me ask you a couple of questions. I respect you. 
and I'm especially um, interested in your life of prayer, if you just had a minute or two and start with a minute or two, love it. See if there's a connection and say, and then if there's a good connection, then say, Hey, could we continue this over coffee? See if there's a good connection and then go for it. Would you be willing to, I don't know, maybe meet with me once a month for coffee. And I know our dream is once a week with, you know, their number on, on our favorites, but we can learn from so many different people, especially if they don't feel the pressure of having to be our everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are different contexts like right now. Oh, I, I, you guys probably don't know about this. I'm doing this because um, we didn't announce it publicly, but right now I am doing a sacred slow intensive. It's a 12 week intensive only for next gen. I have 19. They range between the ages of, I think, 14 and 24. Amazing. And men, they are all in. They are, I, I, I always leave just feeling so encouraged. They are all in. They are not afraid of intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, this next generation, they are, they are not at all afraid. Um, and they are there every week. They've done everything I've asked them to do. They are going, you know, these exercises are no joke. That's awesome. And so um, am I able to offer each one of them one-on-ones? No, I wish I could, but I can't. But they are happy to step in to what I can offer. I can't be their everything either. There's things I, I have no way of teaching them because they're not strengths in my own life. Mm-hmm. But what I can, I'll offer. And so step in. If that person is able, if they're willing to say, hey, listen, I've got a small group and you're welcome to be a part of that. Or yeah, I'll do once a month. Man, be faithful, be present. Don't be late. Prioritize it. Do the homework. Honor their time um, by being faithful to do the kind of stuff that they've asked. Read the book, you know, listen to the podcast, uh, be all in. And um, there'll be a beginning, there'll be an ending. You know, they may say, I can do this for three months, which is another important point. I would put, um, I'd put a parenthesis on it. Mm-hmm. Could you meet with me once a month, you know, until summer? Could you meet with me months a, once a week just for the next month? Give them an ending parenthesis so they know that you're not thinking you're going to move in, you know, um, in three months. Um, and that will help them make a commitment that you can always renew. Jesus had a beginning parenthesis and an ending one, didn't he? Mm-hmm. His spirit was with us always, but he started, he had a finishing point. He even told the guys it was coming. They, he prepared them for it. And so we we need to not be afraid of putting a parenthesis around these mentoring spaces. Um, and then just soak it all in and let it absorb into your soul. Uh, and then go, go on to someone else. If that door, if that parenthesis stays firm, mm-hmm. go on to the next thing. Oh, now I'd really love to learn more about how to, how to study the word from my heart and not just my head. Look around, ask, knock, Good. you know, knock on that door, meet with that person, learn all you can. And so that would be my encouragement for finding a mentor um, step-by-step. That's some gold right there. Mm-hmm. I know uh, no less than 100 young individuals who are looking for a mentor personally right now today. And we're in a spot that we also know no less than 100 qualified mentors. Mm-hmm. And what qualifies a mentor? It's not perfection. It's mm-hmm. not it all together. And I think it's really easy to self-select out. Mm-hmm. for an older generation that feels unequipped or they haven't read the book on mentoring. And so to somebody older, I would just say, mm-hmm. 
you are qualified because you know Jesus and you can yes. pray and you have availability. And to the younger person, yeah. I would say and echo everything Dr. Choli just said, and just say, ask at least once or be willing to ask mm-hmm. a few different people at least once. Yes. And um, we're going to honor your time and just put five minutes on the clock. Okay. And ask five more questions in five minutes. This is one of our favorite parts of the conversation. And we know for the listener too, but are you up for that? Yep. Yep. Happy to. Okay. Let's start with really a hidden season to the individual who feels Mm -hmm. like they've been walking in the dark. Could you offer them a word of encouragement or hope? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, About 350 pages of it in in July. But for now, I would say that Jesus is with you profoundly and that the night is not your enemy. That distance is the enemy. And so our strategy is to decrease the distance. Instead of I'm all alone, we replace that with God is with me. Instead of nobody understands, we replace that with God knows me more than I know myself. Instead of this is never ending, we replace it with, and God is doing a work that I cannot see. You are not alone. You have got to take authority in your mind because that's where the real battle is in the night in hidden spaces, in anonymous seasons. That's good. So good. Okay. Here's a fun one. If you could travel to any place in the world or in space, wherever you choose, where yeah. would you go? Yeah. You know, space is not very attractive to me. I, I, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, right now I would go to any Spanish speaking country. I, my mama passed away. Um, and my, my Mexican mama, <laughs> and I just, I just would love to immerse myself again and um, in the language that she loved and the tacos that she made and um, the culture that has shaped me. I just miss my mama. So I, I go, I go to Mexico or Central America or South America. Oh, that's beautiful. Amazing. I hope it gets to happen soon. Maybe, yes. maybe even this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, third question is for somebody who just feels overwhelmed Hmm. anxious, uh, inundated with technology and notifications Hmm. and everything, the world that we all feel, right? Mm -hmm. What would be maybe a practical step or two to Mm -hmm. declutter their soul? Yes. I'm actually going to recommend a book. Can I do that? There is a book called The Wired Soul by Trisha McCary Rhodes. It's a small book. And she talks about the clutter in such a a clean, clear way. And she also offers some ancient practices that we can bring with us to make sure that um, we are using technology and technology is not using us. Just a a good book, a good resource. For me, my favorite, um, you know, for a long time, (laughs) has been um, the discipline of silence. So turn off everything. I start with the word of God. I don't go just into, you know, waiting on Jesus without a prompt. I, for me, it's normally a story in the gospels. I let that roll over in my mind, you know, those two or three verses till it becomes a movie in my head where I'm seeing it. I'm one of the characters I'm living it. And I let that quiet my heart. And then I'm just going to speak one thing to Jesus. I love you. I wait upon you. In this practice of waiting, let it stretch. Go for one minute. 
let it stretch to two, reach for five. You're going to have to bring your thoughts back to Jesus a thousand times, and that's okay. See each one of them as a push-up, all right? See each one of them as, um, you know, weightlifting. But that discipline, we have got to recapture. That's so good. We have to recapture. So the discipline of waiting and listening. And for me, I start with the scriptures. So good. All right. So here's a little bit of a curveball, Alicia. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today. Anything under the sun, what would you like to get? Could be fun, could be silly, ministry, marriage, okay. whatever. Yeah. Could you guys come here and help me finally launch my podcast? <laughs> that would be what we actually had a wonderful team of people. We came, we spent a week, we recorded all sorts of things and we were so excited. And um, but I didn't think about soundproofing the room. And so it had like reverb baked in. It's the sound quality was, it was too distracting to offer. So um, I would offer, I would ask for practical guidance on how to finally get this thing launched. We feel like we're supposed to do it. So that would be my question, which you probably can't answer in 30 seconds. I'll give it a swing. The first is the microphone you have is actually a great one. We have maybe the identical model or what second is um, when we started I believe you were actually in season one mm-hmm. and, and before we had any of them rolling, we do a weekly podcast. We actually now have two mm-hmm. weekly podcasts, one for young adults, one for young leaders. And, um, we have a bank that we could not touch it until July and they're all recorded, edited, scheduled. And then I'm really creative that way. But if I have to put out something by Friday, mm-hmm. it, you get anxious, anxious and crazy. Uptight. And so it's it's kind of like finding your voice, but then practically questions that you are gold, like you have something to say. Mm-hmm. And so I think your podcast could look a lot like we could give you your first 10 questions for your first 10 episodes would be how do you that. care for your soul? I'll literally send you 10 that I think I would, would love that. Yeah. But but then I think it's literally record them 30 to 60 minutes is a good length for the listener in their commute or in their mm-hmm. dorm or maybe a lunch break. Um, it's shareable, it's portable. And then, yeah, I'd have, you know, four months worth 16 mm-hmm. episodes before you press record or press publish on it. And then you're ahead and you're always working ahead, but you have a voice that this Mm -hmm. next generation needs to hear. So we will be praying and anything that we can do to help behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Truly. We're with you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Realize that the audience loves real and raw. So unedited. So we don't edit any of our stuff unless somebody Mm -hmm. requests it, but that has not happened. Like there was one episode we were on, on with somebody well-known. And I remember saying like, Hey, this is my co-host and husband. And I said, my cousin, and he's like, Oh, we're from the South. That's okay. And I'm like, we are not editing that. So when I go back and listen to that episode, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe. And then we see the first one. I'm like, Oh my God. So, I mean, the, the author or the listener, I should say us as the authors or whatever creative people enjoy the real authentic love. Okay. The words and, just don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. yeah. But it's super fun. Yes. But that's oh. a great question. Well, thank you. That's great advice. I will take it to heart. Oh my gosh. Okay. One last and final question. Should we ask you that one? Mm-hmm. Ooh. What has God been teaching you lately that you would like to share with the audience? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I teaching is such well, here's what I'm struggling with. And so this is where he is teaching me, but I'm not sure I have um anything yet to share. I am 
in a brand new way, um, trying to find how to live internally at peace when people I love and care for are using their free will to not free themselves. Mm. Wow. It's just affecting me in a very different way in this season of my life. And I'm living it with Jesus, but um, it's, it, it affects my sleep. It affects my concentration. It affects my creativity. So I'm still very much on the front end of, of learning um, how to live at peace on the inside in a different day. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. For that. You That's guys, where I'm at right now. This is Alicia Bertrolli. If you don't know her and you haven't seen her heart, you need to listen again because she <laughs> is just real and authentic. And I think many of our listeners can relate to so many dynamics of your story and whether we've experienced it ourselves or have the questions or we're working with individuals who are wrestling and struggling or, or succeeding. I mean, in any of these areas and the power of prayer is significant. And Alicia, one thing I admire about you is that even you demonstrating today, like you are a lifelong learner. And I just, for the listener, we're never going to arrive, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, beside Jesus, wrestling with him, whatever it's been, like, we're never going to arrive on this side of eternity. And we have heaven waiting for us. Yes. And we can't control the outcomes of things. We can't control how other people behave, but we can learn how to invite God into our situations to tame our hearts, to tame our tongues, to discipline ourselves and truly and ultimately submit and surrender whatever it is to him, even when it's out of our control. And um, yeah, just coming alongside you as a listener and also you as um, just an incredible author, Alicia, that we just want to say we love you. We admire you and um, just so grateful for you. And we cannot wait to get this book into our hands coming this summer. So for the listener, Josiah, what was the name of that it's book? And when is the it coming night out? Is normal yes. coming July 18th, 2023. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Thank so, you guys so much. It's always so much fun and just so good for my soul to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Wow. Thank you. What a blessing. And until next time, this is the Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.